From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. During the long grind of a basketball season, there are ups and downs that you have to learn how to manage. Following the comeback win over Georgia, Mike White's team was riding high and undefeated in the SEC. But last week saw their first setback at South Carolina and a tough loss at home to Vanderbilt, after which Coach White said they needed to regroup. Well, his team responded in spades at LSU, pouring in a program record 19 threes and a 106-71 mauling of the Tigers. Coming up later in the show, we'll talk about the big performance with FloridaGators.com senior writer Chris Harry. But first, we've got a special chat with Devin Robinson. We sat down with the dynamic junior just before the team left for Baton Rouge, where he proceeded to score a career-high 24 points in spectacular fashion. We looked at the big picture for the team with Robinson and started by asking him what they need to do to maintain success throughout the year. Uh, we just got to be more consistent. We struggled with that last year, and uh, we don't want that to creep into this year. Uh, we show flashes that we can play really good defense against South Carolina, and then, as you can see, Vanderbilt, we didn't play such as well defense. And uh, you see in Vandy, we can actually hit a couple of shots that we needed, and in South Carolina, we didn't. So if we just put those two together, a great defense effort, and uh, knock down open shots and uh, get great looks, then uh, we're going to be, uh, be fine. You've been through a lot of ups and downs over the years, so you know how this goes. How important is it to keep things in perspective, whether it's a three-game winning streak, a two-game losing streak? How do you keep the, the big picture focus? Uh, you just got to uh, take every game seriously. You just got to go to the next game. If you lose one, you got to be like, okay, we lost. Uh, learn from our mistakes and uh, get back to work. If you keep dwelling on the past and then dwelling on you losing, it's just going to keep getting worse. Uh, I've been in this position before, as you said, uh, and uh, I'm not panicking at all. I'm just waiting on the next game, just focus on the next game, uh, and just take it one game at a time, and uh, we should be successful. You've said that Coach Diamond and Coach White have a lot of similarities. Can you talk about some of those that really stand out to you? They're both compassionate, and, and, and they want to win. That's most important in, in anything. Uh, they both have that fire on them, and they do whatever it takes to win. Uh, the ultimate competitor, basically. That's, that's what they both have. And uh, I like how they try to install that into us players. And uh, if we get on the same page, we can uh, really do big things. With so much the core of this team being a bridge between those two staffs, how important do you think it's been that they are so similar ideologically and just in terms of their approach? Oh, it's real important, uh, especially for the guys that was here with Coach Donovan and for him to uh, move on to the next level and place a guy in a position for us to still be successful. That was really big. And, uh, I mean, the coaching staffs are very different in, uh, in age-wise. The first staff I dealt with was a little older and a lot more, like, technical with things. And this staff is younger, more energetic. They're in the drills with us and uh, – just more hands-on, and uh, I feel like I adjusted pretty well, and other guys who I came in with adjusted pretty well. And uh, finally, it took us a whole year, but finally starting to gain that trust and uh, starting to listen and, and figure things out. If we can go back to last year, after the season, you declared for the draft, taking advantage of that new rule where you could still come back, and obviously your injury really kind of derailed that, and you made the decision to come back. Can you talk about what you learned going through that process of at least exploring the, the next level? I really didn't do much, for real. Like, I wanted to. 
uh, because of my injury. Uh, but just the thrill of actually being able to go play at the next level was, was exciting. But uh, the injury really, really helped me, though, humble myself and, and just realize that I can't leave here, the University of Florida, without having some kind of legacy. You know, uh, my legacy here hasn't been as successful as it needs to be, and I still have time to make a name for myself and make a name for this year and this team. So uh, I feel like the injury was a blessing, though, for me to come back here and uh, handle some business that I need to take care of. What is building a legacy in your mind? What do you want to accomplish that to you will feel like you've left your mark? I want people to remember me as Devin Robinson came in here, he grew, and uh, ultimately before he left his program and got us to the promised land pretty much. You know, I want to make it to the, the tournament. Last two years I was unsuccessful in doing that, and I just want to make it to the tournament. I want to experience the whole, like, Final Four and Elite Eight. And, I mean, I know that's far in the line, and oh, you always got to have dreams, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I, want, I want to leave that here, and I want to bring my kids back and show them a ring. Like, yeah, I got this SEC championship ring and all that. I don't want to have to bring my kids back here, and they be like, "Daddy, Daddy, what, what did you win?" I'm like, "I, I don't have anything," you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I want to leave a legacy of winning and uh, being a successful program and uh, help building a winning culture. As you got prepared for your junior year and you were dealing with that foot injury, what did you do to overcome that? How challenging was it getting ready for this year while trying to also recover from a, a pretty significant setback? Uh, it was tough. Uh, I just talked to my parents a lot, talked to my family, kept God first, kept my faith high, and uh, I knew everything was going to be okay. Uh, it was really tough in the summer watching all the guys working out and getting better, and I was on the sideline just doing a little ball handling and shooting at the chair. But it it really humbled me and, and made me realize that uh, that I took the game for granted, and uh, I knew once I got back I wasn't going to take the game for granted, and it, and it just opened up my eyes to a different type of basketball. And uh, I watched a lot of film when I was out, and, and I just try to work on the things that I didn't do well when I was playing. So when I came ready to play again, then mm-hmm. I, I put it all together. In addition to some of the things you just talked about, what else changed for you as you advanced from being a sophomore into a junior, becoming an upperclassman, and, and taking on a little bit more responsibility? Uh, I grew up mentally, my maturity, definitely. Uh, and I just took a different approach to the game. I try to be more of a leader because, like, in the past we really struggled with having leadership. And uh, I try to take on that, that new role of being a leader and uh, just staying focused and uh, keeping the big picture in mind and keeping my team first. Uh, the first two years I was pretty selfish. I, I, I was safe myself. And uh, this year I just want to focus on putting the team first and uh, just winning. Like, if, if we all win as a team, then we all can win individually. As you've grown and more and more guys have started to come to you for advice, who do you think you've had the biggest impact on? Where, where do you think that's been felt the most? I just feel like like I just, just led by example. During practice, coming to practice, uh, trying to bring the energy every day, and just keeping people positive. Uh, if I see somebody get down, I'm going to come over there and talk to you and make you feel better about yourself or about the situation that just happened. And we're going to keep it moving. Uh I'm the, the median in, in the locker room. I just try to keep everything mm-hmm. positive, you know what I'm saying? Because I've been down there. I've been in the negative in the negative before. It's no, it's no fun, especially being a young guy, your confidence going up and down, like playing time. You, know, you score 15 and you go down there and score two. <laughs> you know, I, I still struggle with that now. But I understand that it's, it's not about me, and I try to make it more about the team and get other, other guys to focus more about the team than rather than themselves. So if we all got a group of guys that just focus on the team and just winning, then we're going to have something going. 
Are there any specific cases recently you can think of where a younger player has come to you and, and you've said, hey, maybe do this here or given some specific advice? Um, Keith Stone. I talked to Keith Stone a, a lot during the beginning of the season when I, uh, when I felt like his confidence was going down because, I mean, he had a great summer. And then we come out in the season and he didn't play as much as, as he uh, think like he deserved to play, which I rightfully thought he deserved to mm -hmm. play. But uh, I just talked to Keith Stone about just staying positive and, like, just stay in the gym, work on your craft, and uh, learn the plays. Uh, he struggled with the plays, and I sat down with him and showed him the plays, wrote down the plays, and uh, he started understanding and uh, started listening. And then some days he helped me as well, keeping me positive. And that was different for him because, you know, Keith Stone don't talk. <laughs> <laughs> so for him to go out of his way like come on D-Rob you got this and that, that really meant a lot to me you know going back to what you just said a second ago in, in reference to Keystone and Casey Hill and Kayvon Allen there's a lot of quiet guys on this team you are one of the bigger personalities I'm curious how much responsibility you feel to bring that personality to the team because someone's got to step up and talk so how much weight do you sort of put on your own shoulders to be that glue guy that, that keeps the group together and communicates I put a lot of myself. Uh, I take pride in what I do and, and the person I am. And I just I just go out there and just be me. I mean, I'm loud, you know, <laughs> funny, goofy, you know. But I could be serious when it's time to be right. And I feel like if, if I don't bring that out, then we can't be the best team that we need to be. Uh, we do have a lot of quiet guys, Kayvon, Keith, Casey, Chelsea, you know. I can go down a list. That, <laughs> that, Sounds like most of the guys actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you got to ha always have that one guy who's going to try to get everybody going and keep the, keep the train running, you know. Your coaches even talked about it in huddles sometimes. Coach May in particular said things will get a little tense in a late-game situation. People are all serious and tight. And then you'll maybe say something to, to loosen the group up and, and get them back in the right mindset. Where do you think that comes from? What, what part of your past, what part of your background allows you to step up in those situations and bring that type of energy? I always put a lot of stress on myself in my younger years when I didn't have to. Uh, I talked to my dad a lot, and he just was like, I mean, basketball is really important, but at the same time, you got you just got to have fun. If you're not having fun with it, then it's no point of playing. So, you know, and, like, there's no reason to stress if you put in the work every day and you, you uh, work on your craft, you should be confident enough to, like, get yourself out of any situations. And, uh, and no situation is as bad as it seems, you know. So mm -hmm. that's how I try to keep that mind frame and try to keep everybody level-headed, like, if you start stressing at the end of the game, you're not going to make the, the right plays that you're supposed to because you're going to be thinking like, oh, man, I can't mess up. Like, I got to make the right play. Just just play basketball, you know what I'm saying? It's just basketball. You've been playing this game all your life. So uh, go ahead and, and step up, you know? Mm -hmm. Off the court, when you have some free time, uh, I'm curious, what TV shows are you uh, you currently into right now? Anything in particular? Uh, right now I'm watching uh, Vampire Diaries. Vampire Diary. Yeah. I, I did not take you for a CW kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, I, I like I like that show. I'm about to finish the season right now, so yeah, I'm, I'm I'm watching that. How did you get into Vampire Diaries? Uh, me and my best friend were just like flicking through Netflix, and we was like, man, I, I want to watch something where has like some action in it, some some like some dark stuff, and like a little <laughs> love story as well. So it was like, so let's just look. So I looked in there, I was like. Vampire Diaries, checked it in. I was like, dang, the first episode caught me. <laughs> so, and I was hooked ever since. So, yeah. Anything else you even have time for? Or is it pretty much one show at a time whenever you got a chance yeah. to, to pop up Netflix? Yeah, whenever I get time, I just watch that one show and tell them to finish that. Then I'll probably watch like Grey's or something. Try to switch up the mood, you know? Last movie you saw in theaters? Uh, Why Him? I just watched that like a couple weeks ago with uh, a couple of my teammates. How was it? Was it good? Yeah, it was funny. 
It, it looked pretty ridiculous. But. It, it was that guy's crazy. <laughs> that guy's crazy. Favorite movies of all time? Uh, definitely he got game. All time favorite. That one, and I like uh, Space Jam, obviously. I was gonna guess that you were gonna say Space Jam, which leads me to my next question: How do you feel about the Space Jam reboot starring LeBron? Are you in favor of that, or should they just leave the original? Alone? They gotta leave the original. Like, there's <laughs> no making another great movie like that. Like, that was an all-time great. Just like how back in the time, like they actually incorporated cartoons with real people, mm-hmm. like in the earlier times. That, that was pretty dope. And like, it's Michael Jordan. You can't. Like, no, you can't compare that. Have you watched Space Jam recently? When was the last time you saw Space Jam? Probably like a, a month ago. Was it still good? Did you still it's like it? still great. Okay. All time great. I felt like when I was older, it wasn't quite as good, but I, I guess it, it still had the it's, same it's impact still on good. you. I like all the characters. I like Lola Bunny. <laughs> I like Bugs Bunny. All those guys. Just seeing those guys and like playing with Michael Jordan, it was great. Nice underdog story. Too, yes. You know, so. no, there's no greater underdog than Michael Jordan. One of the, <laughs> one of the most underrated of all time, right? Yeah. <laughs> Final thing for you, Devin. We talked about some of your goals and some of the big picture things that, that you're working on. Individually, what do you think you can do to get closer to those goals here? Pretty much the, the second half of the season. Just being a team player, being there for my teammates, and just being that guy that everybody can be dependent on and uh, accountable. Just doing my job and, and control what I can control and uh, just do my part in helping others be the, the best players they can be. Set up people for their shots, uh, set a screen for somebody else to get open, get rebounds, kick out for somebody to get a shot, and just play hard defense and just play with energy. And I feel like if I do that, we, uh, we could be pretty successful. Basketball can be a funny game, as some nights everything goes wrong, and on certain nights it's the exact opposite. After a dreary week that saw back-to-back losses, the Gators exploded with a record-setting win at LSU on Wednesday night. We spoke to FloridaGators.com senior writer Chris Harry from Baton Rouge following the game and asked him to put the performance in historical context. The statistics were coming so rapid-fire, it's hard for me to uh, keep them straight, but just off the top of my head or off this little list here, how about most first-half points in an SEC game, you know, ever in terms of what we have available to us through our stats past software, you know, the most since 56 at Vanderbilt in 2009 in a first half, most first half points in any game since scoring 58 versus Jacksonville in 2011. The 19 three-pointers were a school record, beat the old school record by 1,806 points for the most in an SEC game since before Billy Donovan was coach Adam. Wow. At one point, Florida made 10 straight threes, (laughs) you know, and it's the largest margin of victory in an SEC game since 2013. But um, what's funny about this whole thing is one week ago, we're talking 0 for 17 at South Carolina from the three-point line. And a week later, you're going 19 for 33 and and setting school records. So just a bizarre game. Mike White spent the last few days, and his team spent the last few days just talking about how they had to get back to playing defense. Defense was the subject, and yet, you know, <laughs> you have this offensive explosion of a game. Part of it, LSU is not a good defensive team. They've given up better than 90 points a game just about in the Southeastern Conference, and to have a game like that is certainly a, a confidence booster. I, I, I don't think you want to say, okay, well, everything's fixed for Florida right now, but I do have to say Mike White was happy with a defense that held uh, held LSU to 37% in the first half, and a lot of those misses became transition opportunities. 
and transition opportunities that Florida players were walking into open three-point shots on. So, I mean, when you have Devin Robinson, uh, you know, he was three for 20 from three-point line in SEC play. You know, he made four of his first five. You know, on his way to a career-high 24 points, he had eight rebounds. This, is, this was the best game of his career. You know, he was, he was on the floor a bunch, too, diving after loose balls. He, you know, he was doing the kind of things that, uh, that Mike White's been wanting to see from him for quite some time. But, I mean, Justin Leon and Chris Chioza, Adam, hadn't been playing that great, and they'd be the first to tell you that. And they kind of woke up out of some things. Uh, 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 Leon makes three three-pointers, 15 points. Chris Chioza, he makes three three-pointers, has a career-high 10 assists, uh, also mm-hmm. has five rebounds. I mean, he scored nine points. He almost got a double-double. And then, Lord, uh, Eric Hester. <laughs> Where did that come from? I think he has like six DMPs in SEC play to date, and he goes five for five from the three-point line. Uh, just a, a very hard performance to describe, and all I can say to that is, man, too bad Canyon Berry didn't play, right? <laughs> the craziest part of it is to set a new program record for threes without your arguably best three-point shooter just adds to the, the bizarre nature of the evening. Yeah, and to score 106 points without your second-leading scorer. Sure. Absolutely, but, I mean, that gave uh, Justin Leon probably some more minutes. Uh, certainly gave Eric Hester much more minutes. I mean, he had 16 points in 17 minutes. That's, those are wow. NBA stats. But um, more than anything else, the Gators needed a win. I mean, there was really a gut punch uh, against Vanderbilt on Saturday. And, of course, the, the one you kind of wanted to throw out maybe from South Carolina, but you really couldn't because it came against such a great defense. But uh, this kind of got things rolling. The, certainly the, the Florida goes on to Oklahoma uh, from here for the SEC Big 12 Challenge game against Long Kruger's team on Saturday. But it's a nice little springboard and a nice way to get out of that cold snap that those last two uh, losses uh, brought about. We talked to Devin Robinson earlier in the podcast. I'd like to think that uh, since that conversation happened on Tuesday, that there's a podcast bump that can explain his performance. But outside <laughs> of that, where does this come from? Is it futile to spend too much time trying to analyze a game like this? Is this just one of those nights where you're happy about it and, and then you move on from it, but you don't think that you're going to hit those kind of shots on any given night? Well, I, you do have to handle it with some perspective, Adam. I mean, just uh, uh, just on Saturday, Arkansas scored 99 on them. I think it's something like five teams have hit over 90 points against them in, in SEC play. So this was a historically great offensive performance by the Gators against a historically bad LSU defense. So uh, I think when these guys are sitting in watching film, those are the kind of points that are going to be made. This isn't to downplay it in any way, but, I mean, you, why did it happen? Because LSU's not a good defensive team. I mean, I was sitting with LSU riders at the game, so this is what they do. They're like the anecdote for bad offenses. Having said that, I mean, Antonio Blakeney was Florida Mr. Basketball a few years ago. He's McDonald's All-American. He's a guard and leading scorer, averaging almost 17 a game for LSU. Uh, Florida got him in foul trouble early. He finishes two for ten. Um, he was averaging, like I said, 17 a game. He finishes with four. So, you know, there were some other good things going on on both ends of the floor. And, uh, you know, obviously the Gators are going to be very happy with the wire-to-wire performance. But it must be nice for the Florida coaches to just deal with a game that it was over early. To have that kind of game, to be able to play with your bench a little bit, put guys in like Skylar Rimmer and Gorshak Gak were in together at the end of the game. Um, there were smiles on the faces. Uh, all the players afterward and in the locker room were talking about Playing the right way, that's a catchphrase. Maybe you'll hear some as you talk to some of these guys uh, in the coming weeks. But this was a game where they played the right way. They shared the ball. By sharing the ball, they were able to get open shots. I'm just looking here. Assists. I mean, they had a guy with 10 assists. Uh, Eric Hester had four assists and no turnovers. Chioza had 10 assists and one turnover. Those are really high-level numbers. Yeah. 
again against a low-level defense. Um, but it is a Southeastern Conference defense. It was on the road, and um, Florida's going to take this performance and be happy with it, but also not put a bunch of stock into it. They have to build on this and find the good points and find out how to make those good points better points. In the LSU game, it seemed like Devin Robinson was really playing at, at another level and just listen to the, the broadcast as well. So much discussion about when he plays like that, that's an NBA guy. Can you just talk about the way that he played and what you saw that made him so successful? I mean, since everyone's thoughts, Devin Robinson, I mean, when he was in high school, people thought he was, he had the potential to play at the next level. And this is a, I mean, this is a guy who's gone out and put up good games against mid-level competition. People want to see him have that against Southeastern Conference opponents. He's had a couple this year, but again, he was three for 20 from three-point range coming in this game in Southeastern Conference play. He goes five for eight. Hopefully this is something that gets him going, but he's a guy who has a really, really good mid-range game. He's a guy who I think plays at his best when things kind of find him. He's not a guy who's going to seek shots or who, who should, but he's so long and you know can make things happen with his length mm-hmm. and his bounce. Um, and when he does jump in the air and he's fully extended, I mean, he's way, way up there. So there's no questioning uh, Devin Robinson's athleticism. Um, he's certainly a talented guy. He just has to put a string of these games together versus showing up, you know, every other game. Uh, I'll be honest with you, the other day against um, in the Vanderbilt game, besides Kayvon Allen, who had 29 points in that game, uh, uh, the coaches were very, very pleased with what they got out of Devin. He got 12 points, I think, six rebounds. Uh, course you would have liked more in a two-point loss but maybe some things are starting to click for him he's starting to see see some things a little bit better and starting to stuff the box score a little bit more looking toward the weekend now the sec will pause for this sec big 12 challenge and a unique situation for the team staying on the road which is why we're talking tonight to you from baton rouge instead of back here in gainesville so what are the next couple days going to be like for the team as they go into oklahoma well, I tell you what, uh, uh, I made this point to some other media outlets, which I spoke to this week. Uh, Gators go right to Oklahoma, and it's funny. Here's Mike White takes his team to Oklahoma. On Thursday night, Florida basketball team is going to go see their former coach, Billy Donovan, for the Oklahoma City Thunder play against the Dallas Mavericks with Dorian Finney-Smith. Oh, wow. And then, <laughs> and then uh, Right. And then uh, two days later, they're going to go into Norman, Oklahoma, and face Lon Kruger, who was the first coach to take uh, the Florida Gators to the Final Four back in 1994. So you're talking about the last three eras of Florida basketball, the last three coaches all kind of coming together in an in odd kind of confluence in the state of Oklahoma. Um, so cool. it's, yeah, it's, yeah it, I don't know how much time Billy Don is going to be able to spend uh, with the players, if at all, to be honest with you. I do know they're going to be there, and uh, I do know after they go out and score 106 points, they get to go watch a high-scoring team and a very high-scoring point guard for the Oklahoma City Thunder play. So maybe that'll be something that'll jack them up heading into the weekend. But Oklahoma is a team that's certainly not the team it was last year. Obviously, Buddy Heald is, is gone. They have a couple leftover players, but most of their best players from that Final Four team are gone. They're struggling right now. Uh, they've only won two conference games. Uh, they had a five-game losing streak. They lost to Auburn. So this isn't a great team, but it's a road game, and it's a SEC challenge. And Florida doesn't know a lot about Oklahoma and vice versa. So, again, I go back to saying this. Florida lost to Vanderbilt at home. Vanderbilt was 2-4 and four in the league coming in and was not playing well at all. Um, if you can lose to Vanderbilt at home, you can lose to anybody, and certainly you can lose on the road at Oklahoma. So Florida needs to get whatever that uh, locked-in kind of feeling they had going into this game, the determination, the steely eye stares that they had, if you will, and take that with them 
into Norman, Oklahoma, because winning these two road games will certainly make them feel better about themselves coming back with next week. They have Missouri coming in. Of course, they got Kentucky a week from Saturday and a game that, you know, they're one game out of the SEC, out of first place in the SEC after Kentucky lost to Tennessee. So that would be a very, very big game, Adam. It's almost February and we're already hearing a lot of bracketology talk. So What's the significance of this SEC Big 12 challenge in terms of helping build the profile of the league as a whole, not just Florida in particular? From Florida standpoint, playing Oklahoma isn't going to get you a whole bunch of RPI points. Uh, the marquee matchup, Adam, of course. I mean, Kansas at Kentucky, what a, what a great game that is, You know, regardless of what happened at Tennessee for Kentucky the other night. But, I mean, uh, I guess the SEC can make some hay against the – a Big 12, um, it's got some teams that are up there. I mean, West Virginia just destroyed Kansas earlier in this week. I think it's unfortunate, though, that South Carolina is one of the four teams that isn't playing in this uh, SEC Big 12 mm. Challenge. They didn't last year either, and and they're a team that has worked their way into the top 20 RPI-wise. But, I mean, I, I kind of just looking at some of these games, I mean, A&M at West Virginia, Kansas State at Tennessee, um, LSU at Texas Tech. I mean, Arkansas at Oklahoma State. You know, Arkansas could probably help themselves there. Iowa State at Vanderbilt. Certainly, if Vanderbilt can win that game, that would help them. And Baylor at Ole Miss. I mean, Baylor's the number one team in the country in RPI right now, I believe. So I like the concept of it. They made this switch to the date between the uh, between the conference championships game and the Super Bowl for, of the NFL because they thought the event got lost in early December. Uh, you know, Florida played Kansas those two years and. You know, it, it just it just has more buzz. You know, it, it kind of stands on its own merit. They're really good games in in late January, which is actually kind of cool. I think the SEC, you know, made a pretty good decision with that. But in the big picture right now, the the league has probably three teams that are headed for the NCAA tournament. Obviously, no one's in it yet. A lot can happen. Um, Florida's NCAA chances look pretty good this time last year uh, after beating West Virginia in that SEC Big 12 challenge. So a lot of work to be done. A lot of things can change. But in terms of big picture, if Kentucky beating Kansas would obviously make a statement. But all these people I'm hanging out with right now, Adam, they just want to beat Oklahoma. And that's going to do it for today's show. As always, we encourage you to subscribe to the official podcast of the Gators and the podcast app of your choice. And please leave us a review so that we can continue to grow. We also ask that you follow us on Twitter at Gators Podcast, like our new Facebook page, and email GatorsPodcast at gmail.com with any feedback or suggestions you have for the show. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. So until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Exact Tech Arena. Hey!